Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's something that could make Boston greater? Mm, politeness. People being more polite, more more manners, um, more interactions, random interactions. People talk to each other more. Yeah, like I go on the train, literally the whole train's on their phone. When I'm like, I wonder if there's anybody interesting I talk to. But that's only when my phone's not charged. <laughs> so I can't really, I can't really talk. Previously in Greater Boston. Disillusionment has never been a gift worth sharing. That idea probably makes no sense to you, does it, Leon? The truth had been laid bare, the mystery dispelled. That would have satisfied you. Leon Stamatis died on a roller coaster at the age of 32. Nika insisted that the absurdly named roller coaster be their first stop. She had brought him out here specifically to cheer him up after the end of his most recent relationship. He muttered a single word. Nope. Then preemptively expired. Braintree. Right. Peabody. Haverhill. Lowell. All right. Fall Station. River. Cambridge. Quincy. I can't see that one without a reason. Uh, Arlington. Framingham. Newton. Lynn. Worcester. This is Waltham. Arlington. Riviera. Somerville. Arlington. This is Lemonster. Haverhill. Brookline. Somerville. Cambridge. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, we meet three travelers on the red line. A pregnant woman has cabin fever in Charlotte on the MBTA. A fiery eccentric proposes a radical plan in The Mayor of the Red Line, and Louisa tackles her wildest photography assignment ever in Red Line Wedding. This week in Episode 2, Working on the Railroad. Have you experienced a single, overwhelming, tragic event? On America's birthday, drink America's beer. What's next? Know your options. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few fish. We do that every day. without God? 40 million Americans are. You're not alone. Millions of people love the Big Mac. Speak Swahili? Eat, splash, shop, learn. That's one nightstand your one nightstand will love. The only snow here comes in a cone. Are you very shy? Good things come to those who refuse to wait. Just because they're not dressed like police doesn't mean they aren't. Don't you wish getting ahead in your job was as easy as getting to the next stop? Declare wireless independence. Respect my space. Don't touch the driver. Together, we're happier. Gemma's alarm goes off at 6 o'clock. Charlotte wakes up immediately, but the alarm bleats for a solid three minutes before Gemma rouses enough to find the snooze button. Charlotte wants to go back to sleep, but the process repeats itself eight minutes later, and every eight minutes thereafter until a quarter after seven. 
Charlotte gives up after only a half hour of the cycle, exiting to the bathroom for a good long pee, her fourth since she went to bed the night before. Gemma calls out from the other side of the door. Charlotte! Gemma needs the bathroom. Charlotte, Gemma wants to, to know bathroom. how long Charlotte is going to be because Gemma needs to get to work. Charlotte, Gemma I only have has 15, 15 minutes, minutes to get ready, but she can't even begin work. because Charlotte is in the bathroom. Charlotte doesn't say anything. She's too exhausted to bother. She'll be out when she's out and Gemma can deal with it. Gemma, not Char- again, asks Charlotte, if Charlotte is barfing. Charlotte is not barfing, has barely even had problems with barfing. She has no idea why Gemma thinks she would be barfing. She lets Gemma into pee while she washes her hands. While she pees, Gemma asks Charlotte why Charlotte, she's up so why early, are you up as so she does every early. day. Uh, if she didn't have to go to work, to go Gemma to says, site, she would sleep, sleep until, until noon. noon. They had long debated which of them should carry the child they both wanted. When Charlotte's company shuddered, it seemed sensible to let that make the decision. But Gemma won't understand that Charlotte worked for reasons beyond necessity, beyond income. So Charlotte doesn't mention the relentless alarm. Instead, she mentions her dream. Dreams, uh... Gemma doesn't want to hear about dreams, either. Dreams are a thing she deals with at work. She hates her work. Don't tell me about dreams. Don't tell me about dreams, she begs. So Charlotte doesn't tell Gemma about her dream of being lost in a wilderness, in a valley between mountains. She's been abandoned there somehow by some malevolent thing, a witch maybe, or an evil queen. And she's got the baby, her baby. She has to carry it to safety on her own because no one even knows she's out there. And she's lost, but not lost. She, she knows which way to go, but the way out is a long way off. It'll take days to get there. But it's doable. She's sure she can walk that far, even carrying the baby. The problem is food. If Charlotte were on her own, it would be fine. She could forage for herself. But she can't feed the baby. She can't nurse it. She's producing milk, that's not the issue. She has plenty of milk, an ocean of milk, more than enough milk so the baby could drink and the baby would be nourished and it would live. But the milk is cursed. The witch put a curse on Charlotte, on Charlotte's body, on Charlotte's milk. One taste will twist the baby's soul. It'll turn evil, grow into a monster in human form, a killer, a warlord. And so she keeps walking, and she walks as fast as she can, but she knows it'll never be fast enough. Eventually, she'll have to make a choice. The baby will need to eat. The baby will demand to eat. And either she'll let it, or she won't. Either she'll kill it, or she'll damn it. The baby. Her baby. And she can't decide. Charlotte dries her hands and squeezes past Gemma's knees to exit the bathroom. Ten minutes later, Gemma is gone, out the door and into the world. Charlotte can't just sit home again today. 
She has nowhere to go, but she needs to go anyway. Anywhere. Not out to Wonderland again. She shouldn't have done that in the first place, and Gemma had flipped when she found out, and she was completely right to flip out. And with the news of that man, the one who died, snuffed out by nothing on the same roller coaster Charlotte favored, the small one, the safe one, the responsible one? No. No more of that. Today, maybe just back to the subway. Another tour of the Green Line. A detour to the Red, where today, and today only, she has a job. Or an interview. In Cambridge? No, Somerville. That fantasy will have to be enough for now. She dresses and packs a bag with her gestational emergency kit. A bottle of water and a snack. A light sweater. Spare underwear. The walk to Kenmore takes 15 minutes. She waddles down to the platform where a train is already waiting. She sits near the doors, close enough to look each person who enters in the eyes if they only glance in her direction. Charlotte knows the rules of mass transit. Speak to no one. Touch no one. Acknowledge the existence of no one. She violates the rules. She says hello to each passenger as they enter. Nothing more. Most ignore her. A rare one or two smile and say good morning before moving off into the train. She watches them settle into seats or squeeze together, searching for space on the handrail to grip. She watches the businessmen and businesswomen check their phones and sigh in response to the stuttering creep of the train, already late for important meetings and appointments. At Park Street, Charlotte changes lines, switches over to the red outbound for Alewife. A crew of workers dressed in black are removing all the subway advertisements, replacing them with different photographs of the same couple. The couple looks natural, unposed, sure of themselves, sure of their love as they gaze into each other's playful faces. She sees a woman with a serious-looking camera, the photographer, watching the poster-sized blow-ups go up. There's resignation in her expression. The workers hang decorations, streamers, fresh seat covers, glass bulbs in place of handrails, all filled with pops of color, cherry red, aqua, khaki. They work quickly and transform the red line car into something fresh. Charlotte almost feels intimidated sitting there, like she doesn't belong. She asks one of the workers what they're doing, but he ignores her. At Harvard, the mayor of the Red Line boards. A rumpled old man in a tweed suit, an eccentric. He glances at the decorators and says, Ah, yes. Ah, yes. As if he expected this. As if it's all for him. Charlotte smiles at him and says hello. And he smiles back and says, Good morning. Good morning. But it's not rude. It is warm with familiarity, as though he knows her. But he must see thousands of people each day, make his proclamations about proper transit infrastructure to thousands of people. He's carrying a petition, asking for volunteers to sign. Charlotte volunteers. He hands her a pen and she adds her name to a list, a surprisingly long list. It is the most formal act she has made in months, this signing of a political appeal. 
She thought it would be nothing. An appeasement to a kindly eccentric whom she has more than once seen chiding riders on crowded trains into surrendering their seats to the elderly or disabled or to Charlotte herself as her belly became increasingly pronounced. There are dozens of pages here, all filled with names. A thousand names in a thousand hands. And yet no concrete Could effort he really has been made be to terminate this? this junction. This is but one of the many indignities perfidiously inflicted upon our ill-fortuned infrastructure. I am here today, fellow riders of the Red Line, to secure your support for a transit transition, a railway revolution, a subway secession. No longer shall we of the Red Line be beholden to Big Dig boondoggling, the highway robbery of automotive autocracy. I propose to you that we strive for no less than incorporation as an independent municipality. <coughs> Is this an extraordinary action? An extreme solution? Yes! But in these times of bureaucratic lethargy, extraordinary action is called for. Even our newspaper is not our own. This so-called metro is not printed to reflect your concerns or your needs. One of our own died mere days ago. A man named Leon, a rider of these rails. I knew him as a man with deep interest in railroad history and railroad management. This article doesn't even show us his face. It shows only the park where he died, as though the park is more important than the person. Leon Stamatis was one of our fellow commuters, and he was not less important than a park. If we hope to see our community receive the respect and resources it deserves, then it is upon us to declare our allegiance to the system that serves us and break cleanly from the parasite that blithely neglects us. Our time is coming, fellow riders of the Red Line. The time of secession. The time of incorporation. I know many of you feel this already. Many of you are eager for a democratic revolution, a reformation, a new independent municipality of the commuters, for the commuters, by the commuters. The city of Red Line. I have a petition that will put this question on the ballot to be decided by popular vote in our next statewide election. We are so close. All it will take is six more, six singular signatures to put secession on the slate. Who will sign? Will you? Fuck off. No, that's fine. How about you? Thank you. Yes, this is real. Yes, I believe we can do this. I know you must have questions. You must have grievances of your own that demand airing. As your mayor, I want to know your concerns, and I want to do everything in my power to address them. Who among you would like to speak? How about you? You're a regular rider of the Red Line. You've seen me? Of course. May I ask your name? Charlotte. You don't have a pattern, Charlotte. Most people do. Morning in, evening out. Travel as necessary. The commuters. But you have no pattern. You're not using the trains to get somewhere. I have nowhere to go. Of course you do. I used to. Was this the train that took you to the place you used to go? Oh, no. I worked in Watertown. I took the bus. Ah, you were in the valley. What? Watertown is an unserved valley between the branches. <laughs> I guess so. I guess you could call it that. It's, it's just funny that you called it that. What did you do there? I was in animation, background art. You know Word Girl? I don't, I'm sorry. 
that's fine, I get it. But anyway, I worked on Word Girl, Backgrounds. It was a good show. We used to have a lot of animation in Boston, little independent studios doing interesting things, stuff that would never get picked up by big producers. The shows were good, people liked them. But then, you know, the economy and the arts, one by one, they all closed up. We were the last. And you're the sort of person who needs to be doing something. You need to be in motion. Yeah. So now you've just been riding the subway back and forth. Every day. Well, there. You've had somewhere to go. And here you are. There's no purpose to it. It's just escape. May I tell you a story? It's a true story of something that happened to me. It was early in my professorial profession, but after sufficient years in service to the university, so that I was presented with the offer of tenure, an opportunity one does not question. But I was questioning it. More than questioning. I was deeply disinclined, although I knew it was the proper direction for my career to careen. And by the morning of the meeting at which I was to give my final decision, my sacramental yay or nay, I'd hardly slept weighed upon by the gravity of the yay I was meant to deliver. To compensate, I drank an excess of coffee, an entire pot of coffee, and no breakfast to mitigate it, so that I was left buzzing and woozy. I was exhausted, I mean to say, and anxious, and hyper, and terrified, and intimidated, and dizzy, and slightly nauseated, as I stumbled my way down the escalators into Harvard Station. I found my vision swimming and my knees buckling with each step until I simply failed to remain on my feet. I toppled over as though I had suddenly been deprived of bones. And yes, I landed squarely on the tracks below the platform. And yes, a train was coming. I couldn't conceive of any way to sidestep fate in that moment. I saw my death coming. My time was over. And had I been alone in that station, I would have been right. But I was not alone in that station. Do you know who is with me? Jesus! No, not Jesus. You, Charlotte. You were with me in that station. You and all my fellow riders of the Red Line. One among you leaped onto the tracks and dragged me into the recess beneath the lip of the platform. I shudder to think that you could have come to harm on my behalf, but you did not. There was ample room for both you and me in the safety of that dark crevice. And as the train screeched to a halt far too late, already passing us by, the wheels spinning their revolutions just inches from my nose, we were bathed in splendid sparks of steel breaking on steel. And everything changed for me then. I never went to that tenure meeting. I changed my entire course of study, my entire philosophical focus. My heart has lived on these rails ever since. Charlotte, I know that what I'm doing seems insane, but it's not a lark. I'm not just wandering aimlessly, ranting aimlessly. I have a plan, a course of action. Strangers can be a community. Escape can be a purpose. Movement itself can be a destination. Why, just look at this beautiful train today, scrubbed and dressed for the advancement of our campaign. Those look like wedding decorations. And how appropriate, for is this not a marriage proposal of sorts? A wedding between community and commute. Look around you now and you'll see strangers, but ask yourself, what if they weren't? These are choices you have, even now, even with all your fears about the future. One option has been taken away from you, but that doesn't mean you have no options. If I have-
asked to tell you about a dream I had, what would you say? I would ask to hear it. Can I tell everyone? The podium is yours. Metaphorically, I mean. I'll just sit down so you can take the metaphorical podium, previously mentioned. You have our full attention. Tell us your dream, and please speak up. It can be hard to hear over the engine. Okay. Um, Hi, I'm Charlotte. Hi. I'm going to tell you about my dream. Ignore him. Please go on. In my dream, I'm lost in a wilderness. I'm lost in a valley, and I'm alone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on the tee? Um, probably people doing uh, workouts on the train. They use the bars to, like, you know, do, do uh, the pull-ups. There were, like, I guess girls dancing on the poles, hanging onto the train. And I don't think it was, like, a flash mob. So it was just one of those things where you step on and then you're like, oh, the door's open so I can step out. I stayed on. There's actually this dude... That, like, gets on every bus, I swear, and every train. And, like, he just, like, starts babbling about, like, random stuff. And he'll really touch you. And then, like, just to make sure you're really listening to him. And it's kind of like you just have to sit there and, like, not try to, like, rash on him or anything. The guy in the bear costume playing the, uh, not the piano. Um, guitar? Guitar, guitar. A man pulling down his pants and pulling out medicine bottles and stomping on it. Stomping on them? Yeah. And then, like, a piece went flying and people were dodging them. Like, prescriptions? Yeah, but they were empty. The strangest things I ever see is a guy uh, peeing on himself right in the tea. But I understand why, because in this city, it's not like England. If you go to England, there is a lot of bathroom all over the place. But in Massachusetts, I just don't know why there's no public facility. First, he'll start talking about Jesus loves you, and then he'll start talking about his day, and then what aggravates him, and it's just like, do you have anyone to talk to when you're at home? And then he'd fill the rest of them with torn plastic bags. Okay, that's pretty weird. That's the case. Louisa scanned the shots she'd taken so far, trying to single out a handful to show the bride and groom, shots to give them an early sense of the work she'd done. The bridal party posed on the inbound Kendall Square platform as a train, their train, their wedding train, arrives behind them. The train's pushing a gigantic gust of air over the entire party. All the dresses are puffing up and out, the bridesmaids shoving their arms over their aqua gowns. The bride's dress is levitating around her, her head is thrown back mid-cackle as her groom attempts to contain the white monstrosity billowing between them. (laughs) Most of the guys are just pinning their ties to their chest, trying to keep them from flying into their faces. Happy, laughing, clearly in focus despite the chaos of the blurry, speeding streak of red and gray behind them. It, it looks natural, especially for a pose group shot. Ugh, I hate pose. 
post shots. I tell people if they want a lot of post shots not to hire me because my style is naturalistic. But this one, this one turned out okay. She flipped through dozens more at a rapid pace. She'd taken too many, far more than she'd promised Emily and Ethan Bespin, the newly anointed couple. They'd met at the Kendall Square station, he a grad student at MIT studying computation and design for optimization, she a senior undergrad at Harvard studying business. She'd been headed to a movie at the Kendall Landmark. He'd been heading to Porter to meet friends for ramen. They'd quite literally bumped into each other as the doors to the red line opened. And it had been love at first sight. Love like corporate synergy. When Emily and Ethan met Louisa at a coffee shop to discuss their photography needs, she could tell they were from money because they never asked for a quote. We love your style, Emily said. Beautiful, opulent, but relaxed. We're getting married on the red line, so that's exactly what we need. Nothing more relaxed than getting married on the MBTA. Louisa heard crazy wedding plans from clients all the time. The truth was that the photography part of her job was easy. There were always plenty of unique pictures to take at weddings, where alcohol flowed freely and people were encouraged to dance like buffoons. The challenging part was managing people, knowing how to talk to them. She had to make just the right response. Emily had said it like it was no big deal, like people got married on public transit all the time. But there was also an expectation in her voice. It was a test. She wanted Louisa to comment. She was baiting her into saying something like, are you nuts? But that's not what she wanted to hear. Louisa knew what Emily wanted to hear. It was the same thing every bride wanted to hear. What a cool idea. She remembered telling her ex about Emily and Ethan's plans. He'd been so revolted, Louisa thought he might pass out, or worse. They hadn't dated long, which was for the best. He was unique, that one. Several shots of the bride and groom standing on a makeshift platform on the center of the Kendall Station, between where both inbound and outbound trains docked. The city was running shuttle service for an hour and a half between Central Square and Charles, something it did regularly anyway thanks to the constant construction on the Longfellow Bridge. The platform had just enough room to fit Emily, Ethan, and the officiant. Wedding guests were split between inbound and outbound platforms. Bride's family inbound, groom's family outbound. To match the directions they were facing the day they'd met. My legs still ache from the running I did to take these up the stairs, across the street, down the stairs, back again. Had to get all the angles, couldn't just get one side of their faces. Gotta please the clients. After the group pictures, the happy couple emerged from underground to meet their guests, celebrating cocktail hour on the patio outside the Cambridge Marriott. The DJ announced the wedding party after needle-dropping Crazy Train. Time to go! As the song hit full fuzzy blast, Emily and Ethan led a mad dash to their red line reception, the train decorated to look more like a luxury limo inside. A just married sign was pinned behind the last car, tin cans tied with strings dancing against the rails, blasting sparks. Each car had a different theme that tied into Ethan and Emily's relationship, with different bars, drinks, DJs, and music. Guests were encouraged to slip between train cars and explore. Beefy guards were stationed at every door. The train only stopped at stations when a swell of guests needed the bathroom, 
or when a large crowd of expectant commuters loomed too close to the third rail, making the conductor nervous about hitting them. The guests seem to be having a good time in this one. Four men in delectably tailored suits sitting in red-lined seats, a woman laying across their lap, all of them beaming and throwing their cocktail-gripping hands into the air. Behind them, a large group of commuters stare gloomily through the window. Sour faces, frowns. This was a downtown crossing which picks up a lot of orange light traffic. My line. Imagine a wedding on the orange line where the stained fluorescent lights makes everyone look a little more like George Hamilton. Right, never knowing, only on the red line. Cleveland and Emily like this picture? Will the people in the background annoy them? Will they ask me to try and edit them out somehow? Something tells me they won't even notice. The wedding reached peak chaos late into the night, when more and more commuters were desperate for rides home. Some of the guests took over controls and opened the doors at every station, shoving security out of their way and picking and choosing which passengers were fit to crash the wedding. Louisa took a few pictures of this, but didn't want to look at them now. Some commuters joined in with the party, helping themselves to drinks, or dancing synchronized movements at Cotton Eye Joe. Others looked like they'd rather walk home. They found empty seats and settled into them quietly. Louisa finished flipping through her night's work. The wedding had been tough for multiple reasons. She'd run up and down the length of the train at least 20 times, taking countless pictures in each car. She thought again of her ex and his love of transit, his distaste for disorder. She wished she could go home and complain to him, nutty as he was. Exhausted, she took a moment to sit, kick off her heels, and scrunch her toes. There was a copy of Friday's Metro on the seat next to her. The headline? Man Dies on Wonderland Roller Coaster. She reached for the paper, hoping it wasn't grisly. It turned out to be the least interesting kind of death imaginable. The man had just died. Almost willed himself into it, apparently as if he'd looked at his chances and couldn't completely calculate 100% safety, and decided to pussy out just in case a more tragic death was imminent. Sounded like something her ex Leon would be capable. Leon. Leon Stamatis. Deceased. Printed in the text of the article. Accompanied by Nika Stamatis, surviving sister. Ethan and Emily stumbled up to her, swaying and laughing. Are you okay? Ethan asked when he saw her. I was just reading that story about the guy on the roller coaster. Ethan nodded. I expected something more with a headline like that. What a letdown. Expected something more. What a letdown. Was dead. Ethan and Emily said something else to Elisa, but the train and their wedding roared louder and faster than before. She couldn't hear them.
Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen, with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. In order of appearance, this episode featured Alexander Danner as the narrator, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, Jim Capabianco as the mayor of the Red Line, Summer Unsen as Charlotte Linzer Coolidge, and Julia Propp as Luisa Alvarez. Also featuring Laura Cunningham, Alexander Danner, Ben Flamenhaft, Mark Harmon, Jim Johansson, Mike Linden, Sam Musher, Julia Propp, and Jeff Van Driesen as Red Line Advertisements. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tiedy. Dream music by Jeff Van Driesen. Drums by Jim Johansson. Wedding music by Dave Fernandez. Cotton Eye Joe is performed by Adrian Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Tiedy. Some sound effects used from public domain and Creative Commons sources. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com. If you enjoy Greater Boston, please consider donating to our Patreon campaign and help spread the word by leaving us a review on iTunes or social media. Greater Boston is written in part at the Writers' Room of Boston, a nonprofit workspace for Boston area writers. Find out more at writersroomofboston.org. Charlotte. Charlotte. Char. Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Good evening, and welcome to Strange Air. I am your host, Malcolm Smith, and I'll be here for the next four hours taking your calls as we explore the outer regions of reality. Ten years ago, Malcolm Smith vanished from the face of the earth. One moment, he was on the air in the middle of a sentence, and the next moment, he was gone. People will believe anything. So, what do you think happened? I believe your father staged the whole thing. I believe your daddy was taken. Do you believe in miracles? I guess people believe what they want to believe. I believe I'll have a little more wine. It's time you heard the truth about your father! You're completely insane. Did someone hit you? Leave me alone! What's going on? I'm going to find my father. Strange Air. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit strangeairpodcast.com for more information.